everybody. It's Bernsey. Spring training games start this week. So what offseason signing are we looking forward to seeing the most? We'll talk about that and more today at Straight Up 2 O'Clock. Final hour of the show live from the Auction Community Studios. It is Wolf and Luke. Now the brightest studios on the face of the earth. Wolf. Indeed. I, I should have and didn't bring a hat, but I will be bringing one tomorrow for sure. Maybe yes. you can see us from space if you're watching. Um, I want to just quickly reference something Rick had in his update right there. Austin Matthews coming to town tonight. Maple Leafs Coyotes. Yeah. Um, we were looking this up the other day at the game. The last time a player scored 70 goals in an NHL season was 1993, so it's been a while. Like, Alex Ovechkin hasn't done it, Sidney Crosby, like all these great players over the last 30 years have never done it. Austin Matthews, from right here in Scottsdale, is on pace for 74 this season. Oh, man. And we're not like two weeks in, and this isn't something like he's already got 49, and he, I believe, has played 53 games. The American. The Arizonan. Yeah, the Arizonan. He's technically Californian. He lived, He was born and lived yeah, there for two still. months. He didn't really start playing before he was two months old, right. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. I'm not getting so specific. I'm no. going the American, <laughs> as he is known. The Earthling. He is known in Canada. The American. On Canada's most, uh, I don't know, Toronto's their most popular team. I mean, it is, but then all the other Canadian teams hate the Maple Leafs. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, all right. Oh, so, I know all about that. Oh, no, yeah. You lived right there. Like Buffalo, New York. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The uh, Maple Leafs. How close is Buffalo to Toronto? Is it like... The only one that was worse was Montreal. Okay? Yeah. Can I tell you that? Oh, yeah. Oh. I've got some good Montreal stories. Blue I, can, Blanc I, Rouge. I can tell you off the air, but uh, yeah, yeah there's some good no. stuff. Uh, all right, to basketball and Kevin Durant. We uh, referenced this earlier in the show, the uh, the boardroom cover story, and uh, and and just some of the. It's basically an hour long. I don't even want to say interview. It's it's with Rich Kleiman. I mean, those guys essentially started boardroom. It's like an hour long conversation. They're friends. Yeah, in somebody's somebody's yard. Uh, and it just dropped last night. It's pretty good. It's uh, certainly if you want to know more about Kevin Durant, they don't just talk basketball. Um, but that's what the conversation is centered, centered around. Obviously, the conversation also took the turn towards the topic of leadership and how Kevin Durant by is considered by a lot of people to not be much of a leader. He uh, talked about that. I just I'm not as charismatic as my peers. I don't have a personality that's like fit for TV like my peers and a lot of those stories of what we talk about don't get spoken about in the media and that's just really what it is it's like you got to sell what you're doing as well and i haven't sold it enough you know and i feel like i don't i mean i don't i don't feel like i need to i don't feel like i want people to call me a leader but i also don't want people to say i'm not one either boy that was really interesting right there right <laughs> I mean, I haven't sold it enough right there. I don't think you have to sell it to be a leader. Um, I know that a leader a leader has got to do first base in earnings. He's got to do first and then say later. And I know that Kevin Durant, for the most part, has been a doer his whole life. And he's been known as a guy that is going to be a doer, a guy that's going to go out and set an example for everybody else. And I think... Um, the fact that he's even talking about being a leader when he knows he's a leader, 
I think is interesting because that narrative has been out there about him. Yeah, KD is like a he's a he's like a case study in in narratives following somebody around, right? Yeah. Because he's been in the league long enough that when he first broke in, you know, Twitter was a thing, but it wasn't. First of all, it was still Twitter. Remember that before it was X. Um, it wasn't nearly what it has become over the last, or at least what it became for a while there. Uh, it, it just it wasn't that. But so he's kind of in terms of social media, spanned a couple eras. He's also somebody who's won finals MVP twice, and people are quick to dismiss that that he even was on teams that won titles. It's like he wasn't just, like he wasn't the 12th guy on the bench. He was the finals MVP on those teams. You're telling me he didn't provide any leadership? I would think any team that wins a title but has Draymond Green probably has enough in-house incidents over the course of the season where you have to have all of your good players be leaders to drag you through that, basically. And I absolutely think he's a leader on the Suns. Uh, I don't, it's not like your traditional, hey, everybody, look at me. I need this uh, I need a C stitched onto my jersey because I'm the. It's just more. I think he brings an element of leadership that the Suns don't have, and we'll see how this plays out. Uh, the reason we're bringing it up today is because it's going to be fully yeah. on display now in the final two months of the regular season, and especially the playoffs. You know, honestly, and I don't know exactly if this applies to Kevin Durant because the only way you would know that, based on means, is if you were inside their locker room, the Suns' locker room, or, or inside all of of their travels and on the plane and on the. Bus whatever it may be, conversations that I I don't know. I do know this. The best leaders that you can possibly have, they do first, and then they say. You you can't say first. You'll be a pariah in the locker room. You'll be an outcast. You'll be mocked if you go out there and you actually say before you do. You got to do first and all. You got to have that respect of your teammate, of course, because you're doing things and doing them well. And once you do, then you can say, I don't know how big KD is on saying. I don't know how he does, but your best leaders do and say. And I think of Devin Booker when I think of that. That may not be the case, but I think Book is somebody inside that locker room who says as well. I, I think what, see, I just, I find it hard to believe that KD doesn't say as well. He's been in the league forever. You know, he's seen it all. He's been, he's seen the worst playoff disappointments. He's won the title a couple times. He's had to deal with, with, you know, there at one point an injury looked like it might end his career or at least extremely alter his career. Like he has experienced the ups and the downs. I would be stunned if he's not sharing those experiences with teammates and calling guys out, albeit in his way. Like, I feel like if Devin Booker calls you out, everybody in the arena knows it. I feel like if KD calls you out, he does it in such a way where you're like, you don't even realize he called you out until later. But it kind of lands with you and maybe, I don't know. Just, that's been the way I've always felt about Kevin Durant, but... We're going to find out more now because yeah. it's right here in front of us. And honestly, when I say base earnings, I'm also talking about the one-on-one conversations that leaders have with teammates. Leaders that are willing to do first and then walk up on a teammate. I've talked about this for years and challenge said teammate to go ahead. Hey, you, what are you doing? What are you? You're so much better than this. Why are you doing this? 
You're killing us. Do your job. You're totally capable of it. You know you are. Go do your job. That That is important. That leaders, guys that are out there doing, will walk up on their teammate and encourage them that way and challenge them that way. I just don't know if if Kevin Durant is big on that. Book, I think he is. That's funny because I, I could see KD a lot more getting in a teammate's face than standing up in front of the team before a game and being like, here we go, guys, big game tonight. You know what yes, I mean? I can see him that, a lot more being a one-on-one. Absolutely, but is he willing to challenge his teammate? Uh, we come back over to football. We, based on what we just saw in the NFL playoffs, the relationship between a quarterback and their tight end has maybe never been more important than it is right now. You're going to hear what Trey McBride had to say about Kyler Murray. Next, it's Wolf and Luke on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Everybody, Dan Bickley here. Day three of Newsmakers is Thursday. Do not miss a minute. Join us at 6 a.m. on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. As if my dreams were boring, we all know conspiracies are dumb. Well, let's see, Wolf. The final four teams in the NFL. We had Patrick Mahomes with Travis Kelsey. We had Brock Purdy with George Kittle. We had Lamar with Isaiah Likely and Mark Andrews. Likely stepped in and played a pretty big role when Andrews was out, and Andrews came back for the last game. Uh, you had Jared Goff with um, Sam Laporta. Yeah. Like, I, there are plenty of teams in the league that don't have really good tight ends, but all the teams that were left at the end of the playoffs or you know, heading towards the end of the playoffs, all had really good tight ends. I find it hard to believe that's just a coincidence. Yeah, no, you're right about that. Um, listen, Travis Kelsey to me, you know the way I feel about this, he's more wide receiver than he is tight end for the most part. And one of the biggest surprises for the Kansas City Chiefs, at least in the world of Wolfley, is just how well they ran the ball. That needs I to be just, a segment on the show, The World well, of Wolf. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Okay, just, just how well they ran the ball. That and how well their defense played this year, man. It really was incredible. So, to me, um, George Kittle is what I want Trey McBride to be for the Arizona Cardinals. George Kittle, a guy that when he's out there and you're in 11 personnel, one back, one tight end, three wide receivers, and you're in rundown situation, first and 10, second and one to six, you can run the ball or throw the ball just as well. You're a 50-50 proposition to the defense immediately. That's what you need to get to. And that's what I think, what I think the Arizona Cardinals may have in Trey McBride. He was definitely their breakout player this year. Definitely. I'm not even sure I could off the top of my head come up with who would number to even be, but they'd be a distant two to Trey McBride. Kaiser White was really, yeah. really good um, before he got hurt. But, but he, you know, but he had done it to a certain extent in Philly last year too. Yeah, you're right. I, I guess I'm just thinking of newcomers yeah. to the Arizona Cardinals. Period. I do like having Kaiser White on this. Yeah, team. Dude, when you say Go breakout, forward. there's nobody who even comes close to comparing with Trey McBride. And, and it's a funny. <laughs> this could work out really well if you're a Cardinals fan, but. When they drafted Trey McBride, it, it wasn't Monty Austin Fort. 
They had just traded their first-round pick away for Hollywood Brown. So Trey McBride was their first pick in that draft, even though he was a second-rounder. And it was like, there were a lot of other issues. I mean, at, at the time, at the time when they took Trey McBride, it was like, it was like, hey, the the you know the roof just came off the house, but let's paint the living room. That's basically what it was like, right? <laughs> like, okay, we've got all these other issues. Let's draft another tight end. And yet, it might end up working out fantastically for the Cardinals because now I think we're all pretty confident Trey McBride's going to be a, a centerpiece of this offense for as long as he's in Arizona. Yeah. No, I'm with you on that one right there. To me, I just want to know how good you want to be, Trey. Trey. You have asked him face to face. Yeah, I, I have. <laughs> I have, and I love the kid. I love the kid. I want the best for him. I really do. I want to see him embrace all of the goodness. And and he does. We've heard him. He's talked about this many times. He wants to do it. He's got the desire to be that true stud tight end. That's what I want to see him be, where he can block just as equally well as he can actually catch the ball and run after the catch. Man, you tell me that he can do that, and he showed that he could last year. Now do it again. Do it again. Make this who you are, Trey. Make this who you are. And if he does, man, the Arizona Cardinals are going to be so much better for it. Yeah. Uh, here he is talking about uh, Kyler Murray from the Greenlight podcast. Kyler's a tremendous athlete, a guy who's always going to make plays, a guy who's extending plays, and, and that's something we work on all the time. We're always trying to extend plays. We know with Kyler back there, he's going to be running around. He's going to make things happen, and, and we got to be able to get open for him. So we work that all the time, and, and most of it's just having that chemistry, having that trust with him, and, and having him believe that I'm going to be open, and he, when he throws me the ball, I'm going to come down with it. And the more I did that for him, the more he kept coming to me, and uh, my opportunities just kept coming. It's uh, Trey, Trey McBride, 6'4", 245. Yes. <laughs> yes. Well, 6'3", 6'4", somewhere in there. Oh, but, well, that's what know, he's listed at. That's what he's listed at, <laughs> and no doubt about it. You know what I love? He used the C word right there, based on his chemistry. Chemistry. Never forget this. Um, Luke, chemistry is cognitive. It is. Chemistry is cognitive. It's it's not what you can see. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. Chemistry is a cognition, a symbiotic relationship that two dudes, two teammates actually have. The glue of competition is what that is. Chemistry is the glue. How strong will the glue be between Trey McBride and Kyler Murray? See, those are the principles. Those are the subject. Kyler Murray and Trey McBride. Chemistry is glue. So wait, I just want to make sure I have this right. Confidence is the currency of competition. <laughs> chemistry is the glue of competition. Yes. Okay. Chemistry is the glue of competition between two dudes. Symbiotic understanding that this is the way you're thinking and this is the way I'm thinking. By the way, I should say two or more because you know who had the ultimate chemistry? Peyton Manning and the Indianapolis Colts. When they'd get into 11 personnel or 12 personnel, however you want to determine what Dallas Clark was, they'd get into 12 personnel and they just line up every, every play almost the same way and run the ball or throw the ball and go right down the field. <laughs> that yeah. was a symbiotic relationship all of those guys had with Peyton Manning. And that's why they were so great. Well, chemistry, it's not what you can see. It is the unseen. 
but it's a symbiotic understanding between two or more teammates. Here's more from Trey McBride talking specifically about Kyler's work ethic. I think it's just the work ethic. You see him in there every day. You see him putting the work in. You see him grinding. And I think it's just him being there, uh, showing up, being a leader, and uh, what he does off the field, what he does in the building. He's just a tremendous person. And the rap that he gets from the media isn't always the best. But, you know, I know the real Kyler. I know the guy that I'm with every day. And and he's a tremendous person, a tremendous player. And I love spending time with him. And I hope that we can grow our career and and play a long time together. They should be able to. I mean, really. It, it, it certainly at this point would seem like this new regime is all in on Kyler Murray. Um, you know, again, I guess you, you can't say 100% certainty this is the guy for the foreseeable for the next, let's say, five years until we get through draft night. But doesn't it feel like 99.5% certainty Kyler's their guy? It sure feels like it's Jonathan Gannon's guy. Monty Austinfort seems to be on board. And I would argue we saw, you know, them pull better performances out of Kyler Murray in these last few games of the season than we had seen from Kyler in a while. Yeah. So if that's the case, Trey McBride's going to be here for a while. I, I don't know that I don't know that that chemistry that they built or the the production that they're able to 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 provide, I don't think that's just going to dry up next season. You know, teams will focus more on McBride if they can, but yes. I don't think it's just going to go away. Now, and it, the conversation always comes back to this how do you supplement that? Is it Marvin Harrison Jr.? I mean, free agency is in a couple weeks. Is there yeah. somebody out there? T- Michael Pittman? I <laughs> just saw his name pop up on that uh, on the odds thing before. T. Higgins? Like, there's going to be good receivers available in free agency. Too. Yeah, that's that's good right there. How do you how do you help a tight end? Um, you get a wide receiver. That's what you do. You get a standout wide receiver, especially one that can run down the field. And you can throw the bomb out there. You can throw the nine route. Somebody who's got a vertical game. Do you think somebody like Marvin Harrison Jr., Basin Orleans, has a vertical game at 6'4", with a massive wingspan, (laughs) and a guy who can actually jump? Yes, is the answer to that. That's how you help a tight end. How do you help a wide receiver that you already have that has this vertical game? How do you help him? You get a tight end. So you can see it. It's got a symbiotic relationship right there. You get a tight end because a tight end is like a security blanket so much of the time for a quarterback because he works the middle of the field so much of the time. Not all the time, of course, but so much of the time. And that's one of the reasons why I think we saw this evolution of Kyler Murray and Trey McBride come together last year. Uh, text us your thoughts to the FanDuel text line at 620-620 right now. When we come back, what are you expecting from the Suns in these final 27 regular season games? What is Frank Vogel expecting from his team? You'll hear what he had to say next. It's Wolf and Luke on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Gamble. The Suns start the second half of their season on Thursday versus the Dallas Mavericks. So what should we keep an eye on the final 27 games? We'll ask our Suns insider Kellen Olsen at 3 today on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Yeah, Kellen does have that story up on ArizonaSports.com right now. How the Suns can certify elite status after the NBA All-Star break. And when we had him on earlier, Wolf, he did uh, mention that if you look at the odds makers, you know, sort of predictions, I guess, if you want to call odds predictions um, for the rest of the season, 
the Suns aren't really in that group that Vegas believes is going to win the title. Um, and, and there are teams with better records that aren't in that group. Oklahoma City, Minnesota, there's there's some good Cleveland. Cleveland's been the hottest team yeah. in basketball, really, <laughs> for the last two months. Um, but people tend, and I don't necessarily think this is wrong in the case of like an Oklahoma City or even a Cleveland People tend to expect or trust more a team like Boston or Milwaukee or Denver that has been there before and done it before. Uh, although I would say the Suns are more like that category. This version of this team hasn't done it yet, but Kevin Durant's done it before. Booker's been to the NBA Finals before. Yeah, you know, for me, Basinonians, it's so weird when I talk about the Phoenix Suns because before the season started, um, to me, I had aspirations and expectations that this team was going to be a championship contender. That this team with Bradley Beal and Devin Booker and Kevin Durant, the big three, and and all the other guys they had around them, in which they've moved four of those guys out the door right now, I thought this team was going to be good enough to actually challenge for an NBA title. I don't think that is the case anymore. I've adopted a prove-it mentality the rest of the way. And, you know, no professional athlete cares about that. That's what they do every day. That's what they do every game. They go out and they prove it. Why would they care that somebody is going to make them go out and prove it? That's what they do. Competition is about proving it. And right now, as I look at the Phoenix Suns, um, they've got to get so much better on the defensive end of the floor. And that's where I think the greatest improvement can actually come for this team. The talent is there. Now they got to get tougher. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with that. And that's, you know, the, the final 27 games here are going to be all about ramping it up. I, I do still have the Suns in that group that I think can truly win a title this year. It, it, and that's a different conversation than, hey, who are the best teams in the NBA this year? Like, okay, if you're talking about the best teams in the NBA, at some point we have to give Minnesota their due because they've been leading yeah. the Western Conference all season. Yeah. But do and, I think they're. By the way. The best defensive team in the association, well, and, and that's that is not something to just you know brush off. Um, but do I think they're going to win the title? I don't. I don't think Minnesota's winning four playoff series. I just I don't. And if if they prove me wrong, then hey, that's you know that's what's cool about sports. Uh, but I do tend to fall in that category of I, I want. If you're telling me I gotta make predictions in the playoffs, I'm gonna lean, especially in basketball, more than any other sport. I'm gonna lean on the guys and teams that have been there before. I think Boston can do it. I think Milwaukee can do yeah. it. I think Denver certainly can still do it. Uh, I think the Suns can do it. And I guess if you're gonna tell me the Clippers can stay healthy, I would say the Clippers can do it. But I, I gotta see them stay healthy. See what's so funny about this right now? We're talking about the last 27 games of the season coming up here. And to your point, you you think the Suns can do it? I want to see the Suns prove that they can do it. That's the difference between us. I want to take the last 27 games and say, you know what? Um, get better. Get better. How are you going to get better? Show how you're going to get better. Prove it to everybody. And once again, I think the Suns would agree that they have room to get better. I need to see them go do that over the last 27 games. And then I'll tell you what my expectation is going into the postseason. Uh, here's Frank Vogel. He was on with Bickley and Murata this morning on Newsmakers Week, and they asked him, how close is this Suns team now to becoming the team he envisioned when he, when he originally took this job? I guess 
you know, maybe even beyond that, because when he took the job, they didn't have Bradley Beal. So let me rephrase that too. How close is this team to being the team that he envisioned when the season started? I think we're close. You know, we played some, some really good basketball. Uh, I think we're 19 and seven since since Christmas, and um, you know that's one of the best records in the league during that stretch. Uh, I, I think if we can stay healthy, we have as good a chance as anybody to win this thing. And um, you know, obviously, there's there's always room for improvement. There are things that. You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna talk to our guys about today for uh, for this stretch run that um, things we need to uh, to get better at to to achieve our goals and and to position ourselves uh, the best way we can going into the playoffs. But um, but I like where we're at. So what are those things that you need to improve? Did we get that? Did somebody follow up and say, what would you tell your team right now, Frank? <laughs> what would you tell them to improve? Where do they need to improve? <laughs> right? Did anyone follow up on that? <laughs> no, this is just on the show. I'm just saying they, that's, you know, the, he, he just said, uh, we're, we're going to talk. I'm going to talk to him today, as a matter of fact, he said yeah. about that. So wh- what are those things? that they need to improve. Well, I think a lot of the things that you're bringing up, you know, with the defense and the toughness, and especially the fourth quarters, that, that you know, Kellen brought that up when he was in here earlier. Yeah. And that, that is almost a, if they can't fix that, I'm not sure how much this other stuff matters, you know, because when Kellen was in here, he made a really good point of most playoff games, for the most part, they're pretty close, yeah. you know? Um, and it, so if you're going to tell me that we're going to have to roll the dice in the fourth quarter of every playoff game, hey, it's a close game. I mean, dude, even for the Suns earlier this season, they'd be up by nine going into the fourth quarter. Yeah. And the fourth quarter was so bad, they would lose anyway. If you can't fix that, then... The other stuff is is pretty secondary. Yeah, you know it's so vague though. When you say the fourth quarter, they got to get better in the fourth quarter. It, that's a what statement. That's a strategy statement. That's up here. How I, I would think. How are you going to get better in the fourth? I quarter? would think defending better for see, me and, see, the Suns. and that's what I'm saying right now. Do you know why there's a better chance of of being a better defensive team than you are an offensive team? Because you just have to try a little bit harder is what it comes down to. Effort. So much of defensive, so much of good defensive play in basketball is about effort. You've got to know, you got to communicate, no doubt about it. You got to know what the scheme is. You got to be able to communicate that scheme to each other. But so much of it is stay in front of your guy. It's about effort. Yeah, just be relentless. And and that's why, once again, if you tell me it's about effort, this is about toughness. And that's where they need to get better. A couple guys that might help a lot in that area, specifically Royce O'Neal. Frank Vogel was asked about O'Neal and Thaddeus Young now. Yeah, really excited about uh, both of those guys joining our club. You know, we felt like we have a, a roster that uh, can compete for a championship, but we wanted to make some some improvements around the margins. And uh, those two guys definitely feel like uh, are going to help us. Um, you know, Thaddeus definitely with the with the depth at the center position or power forward position, He's, he can play four or five. And Royce has already made an immediate impact on our team, uh, helping us win a couple games going into the into the break at a plus 37, plus minus against Detroit the other night. And uh, really shows what he can do on, on both sides of the ball. See, Frank likes the plus likes minus the almost plus as much as you well. do. I'll tell you what, a plus 37, okay. whether you like plus minus or you think it's a waste of time, if yes. somebody's a plus 37, you like it. You like it, man. There's no doubt about it. But you know what? It's, it's interesting. He named two guys, Thaddeus Young and Royce O'Neal. Mm-hmm. What are those guys known for? 
Where, where do you think they're going to help? See, this, I, I, this is a leading question. I'm, I'm just saying. I, it makes me want to not say you toughness. You know what? It makes toughness. me want to say something else. Physicality and intensity. That's, for me, that's what the Suns need. Here, ask me again, Wolf. Ask me the question. What, what are those guys both known for? What are they known for? Thaddeus Young and Royce O'Neal, uh, Luke Levinsky. For, for both having... Uh, an A in their name and an N. <laughs> okay. Because <laughs> I knew where you were going, and I knew there was no turning back. They are absolutely known for toughness. Different ways they impact the game, yes. but the toughness is very clearly but it's, the, the, in, the, the overlap in yes. the Venn diagram with no, those two. Absolutely, but still, I, 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 they're known more at this point, especially for defense, than they are offense. Uh, we come back. How has Kevin Durant's game evolved? You'll hear what he had to say about it next. It's Wolf and Luke in Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Hey, it's Vince Murata. Join us Thursday. Newsmakers Week continues with some of the biggest names in Valley sports, including Cardinals GM Monty Asenfort, Josh Bartlestein from the Suns, Derek Hall from the D-backs, and Jerry Colangelo. It starts at 6 here on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. All right, final segment of the show live from the Akchin Community Studios. Wolf and Luke on a Wednesday afternoon now, and uh, we've been referencing the uh, the the boardroom, the, uh, the the story, the the cover story boardroom put out with Kevin Durant and uh, Rich Kleiman went out yesterday, and it was about an hour long conversation with Katie. Talked about a lot of different stuff. I would encourage you if you're Suns fans, probably yeah. worth checking out. Um, talked a lot about the Suns, but he also talked about like his earlier uh, playing days, kind of what he wants to do after he's done playing basketball. I just talked about other stuff. You know, Talking about Book yeah, as did, well. At one point, Book walked through <laughs> the set. Yes. <laughs> and you're like, wait a minute. What's, they're out in the field in Orlando doing this interview, and Book shows up. He's like, when are we eating? Yeah. That's it. That was his contribution. Get some dinner, bro. <laughs> uh, but one of the things Kevin Durant talked about I thought was interesting was how his own game has changed over the years. No, because I still feel myself doing the same moves I was doing since I was eight or nine years old. Um, my mentality and my approach has changed for sure. Um, and just understanding what it takes to win an NBA basketball game uh, at different parts of the season. Understanding what it's like playing in the back-to-back, in the playoffs, in the play-in, uh, preseason. Like, what a shoot-around is like, I think I've, I've gained understanding of that. And I've under and now that my approach to all of those different scenarios have changed. So I can be any different player any given night based on where we are in the season. You know what I'm saying? I think that takes a lot of... You know, it, it takes up a lot of work to truly think on that level of each game may be different, so you got to be prepared and ready for anything. You know, that's like a, I had to release a lot of other thoughts so I could just focus on that. And sometimes me doing, me retiring and what may happen when I retire gets lost in that shuffle of trying to focus on, all right, my role may change tonight on court, you know? So it's, uh, I think that's how my game has changed more so than my, you know, my skill set and what I'm doing out there. That's really interesting. Physically, if I read this right, physically, he's doing the same thing he's always done. That's that's what he's talking yeah. about. But it's managing the logistics around when he's actually out on the court. Does that make sense? Yeah, I tell you, Wolf, um, and I know I put this in the pre-show notes too, but it, you watch that whole thing, right? You and I both watched the whole yes. thing, Aaron watched the whole thing. Um, 
you know, I think everybody's going to have a different take off of it. But the, the what is the number one thing? The, the thing that really jumped out to me, and it's probably going to be different than what jumped out to you. But what jumped out to me was just how, just how into basketball. No, that's it. Kevin Durant is. Is <laughs> that, that is it? it. Okay. That is it. That's I never. I, I didn't see KD being absorbed yeah. by the game the way that he is. And and see, it's to funny. To a point where he wants to be involved in the game when he's done. Yeah, I mean, he talked about wanting to maybe be part of an ownership team someday. Um, GM. Yeah, I mean, and, and uh, you get the feeling. And, and for me, it wasn't. I don't want to say I was surprised because, like I said, you know, earlier in the show, like I, I've watched a couple specials on KD over the years, like probably about, you know, there was one, I I, can't, I think it was on Showtime, it was about 10 years ago, it was a really good one, it was, he was talking about, it was, doing, it was like a special on, on a shoe drop, he was going through the streets of Oklahoma City, it was really good, so he's been this way before, but you, you just kind of wonder, you know, that was seven, eight years ago, does that change over time, do you kind of get to the point where it's like, yeah, I just want to win a title and let's go, and, and it's not, you, you get the feeling if KD wasn't on the Phoenix Suns, if he wasn't good enough to be in the NBA, he would be that guy that's on like four rec league teams around town and just yeah. playing every Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday around. Like the dude just lives <sighs> basketball. Loves basketball and lives basketball right there. Yeah, I, I did not know that as well. That was my number one takeaway. This guy eats, sleeps, and breathes basketball. And I've known certain guys that were like that in the game of football, base and earnings. I've known guys who, who absolutely loved it, everything about it. Um, but so much of the time when you found a guy like that, he wasn't really talented. Isn't that, isn't that right? Ron, <laughs> are you going to end the show by talking you know what yourself? I mean, no. I mean honestly, it is easy. so many of these guys who eat, sleep, and breathe it, man. <sighs> There are a lot of try-hard guys. They, they, they've had to eat, sleep, and breathe it to actually compete. Rarely do you find a guy who's just loaded with talent and yet loves to eat, sleep, and breathe yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. Because they haven't had to. Like Michael Jordan. Yeah. I mean, that's true. When you combine that, you're talking about the true all-time greats. You really the are. greats. Because there's a, you can think of them. You know, I, I'm sure everybody has you know, a little bit of a different opinion on, on who they are, but... You're driving around right now. Think of a couple NBA players that you know are really good. Yeah. And basketball is just a way for them to be famous to them, or it's a way and for them rich. to make money, or yeah, whatever, whatever it is. But it's not. There are guys in this league that are really good players that they they don't need basketball because they need basketball though. They need it because it's getting them twenty five million dollars a year, or it's getting them you know whatever it's getting. Yes. Them, and so and I don't know. I mean, I've never had the sense that was KD, but especially after watching that last night. Here's one more talking about uh, storytelling in the NBA and how important it is. Yeah, not as much as I care about the the storytelling around the game. Don't dilute the storytelling around the game because of your personal opinions and emotions. And let's just present the facts around the game because that's what's going to push the game forward. If we continue to tell the history the right way, if we revise history based on how you personally feel, now you're getting in the way of, of the story. And what makes you bigger than our story when you're not even playing? That's how I look at it. And so... I don't, the asterisks don't bother me more so than the people that's just saying it for the simple fact that you're upset or you're emotional. 
it's just like I know what I did. Obviously, this in the record books is black and white. It's stamped to me. Yeah, that that was in relation to a question about the asterisks around his titles, which there shouldn't be any around no. his titles. The Finals MVP both times. Yes, but that is the thing on social media. If you want to. If, I man, I, I just I wonder why that is. Why why is that? Well, when it comes to KD, look at the. I mean, now it's just it's, go back it's and the look trendy at those, thing to say. I, I yeah, but to your point, I mean, his Finals MVP. Would you have given it to somebody else? I, I'm I'd sorry. Have to go back and watch, but to me, he was the difference maker. At he, least he in was. one of them, I remember it was like, hey, they, no, they can't me, lose with him. I'm just saying, I, there was nobody else I would have given it to. I think there's a, I, honestly, I feel like a a good chunk of that is that he interacts with uh, with people on social media, and when you're as big as KD. And you're willing to kind of have discussions with people that are just like, hey, KD retweeted my tweet, uh, calling him a bad player or calling him overrated or saying that he should have an asterisk next to uh, one of his rings. I think he gets more of that sort of pushback. But then, you know, you do the all-star voting in the first run through, he's got 1.8 million votes. So <laughs> there's a lot. Of, he's a very popular player as well. But, yeah, the whole asterisk conversation around a guy who won finals MVP twice. Like, no player's ever gone to a good team before and won a title. Yeah. You know, it just it was so cool. What was it, once again, that he was on? Luke, if anyone wants to listen to that, because I, I highly recommend you go do that, basically. It was, you're going to love that. It's called The Cover Story, and it's, on, it's through Boardroom. Which, okay. Yeah, it was, uh, it was good. It's, uh, you can check it out on, on YouTube, or you can go back and listen to our podcast, because we played a good chunk of it today. All right, that's it for us. Thanks to Aaron Maloney, Jesse Morrison, Behind the Glass. For Wolf, I'm Luke Burns. Gambo next on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader.